Good morning, TLC. How about that sunshine? Oh, so good. Hey, I got to give a disclaimer. Uh, I was, uh, our seven-week-old would not fall asleep last night, so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to give him this message. I need to prep anyway. Gave him this message. He fell right to sleep, which is good for me. Maybe not so good for you. I guess we'll see. Hey, I want you to hop into a time machine with me back to August 11th, 2017. All right, the scene was set at a lavender farm in the middle of Indiana that had a lavender bloom that season, like you would expect at a lavender farm in the middle of Indiana. It was perfect, actually. It was fine. Uh, beautiful setting, beautiful place. And uh, Olivia, at the time, Nispel, was set to be married to Austin Presno. Okay? We got a picture, I think, uh, here. Yep. Okay. The beautiful. I know, right? So great. Uh, we were tucked back a little bit in the woods at the farm, a few minutes walk from like any cover or anything like that. Uh, skies were clear, radar was clear, 0% chance rain. And uh, when people asked, what, what, what are we going to do if it does rain, we would just simply smile and be like, huh, it's not going to rain. <laughs> you know where this is going. So the ceremony went off without a hitch. It was beautiful. It was perfect. And uh, Right as we, we, we kiss, you know, and they say, and our officiant, his name was Kent, he's the bald guy, announced his husband and wife, and I kid you not, the minute we took our first step to walk the processional or whatever, whoosh, this was the scene. I love the guy who has a chair. He's like, well, they didn't give us umbrellas, so I guess here we go, you know. This is like, the, it was the kind of rain that was like, you could stand in it for three seconds or three minutes, you're getting the same amount of wet, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, this was poetic justice for a guy, me, who had watched About Time a few too many times and was like, oh, it'd be so cool if it rained on my wedding day. <laughs> anyway, safe to say, our wedding was memorable. One of the memories that sticks out to me most about my wedding is actually something that happened a few days before. Uh, the guy, the bald guy in the picture, his name is Kent, and his wife, Tammy, uh, are the couple, oh, he's upset, uh, the couple uh, that walked through premarital counseling with Olivia and I, and they were such a, they are still such a blessing to us. Kent was a professor of mine, and Olivia's became a mentor of mine, and so we had one meeting uh, in the days leading up to our ceremony to just talk final details, not premarital counseling at this point, and uh, I can say now that I was being a bit of a jerk at that meeting, not to Kent, but to Olivia. I wasn't really paying attention to her. I wasn't really listening to what she wanted for the ceremony. I was so focused on the ceremony being perfect and exactly how I pictured it. And I wasn't paying attention to her. And uh, I'll, I, I wouldn't have known that at the time. I'm not saying I recognize that then, but now I recognize that. And I'll never forget the next day, uh, Kent, after our meeting, Kent gave me a call. And I remember seeing his phone number pop up, and I was like, oh, Kent's about to tell me how beautiful and perfect and theologically rich our ceremony's about to be. Like, here we go. Okay. Hey, Kent. Not quite what Kent wanted to talk about. Uh, Kent wanted to tell me that he was concerned with the way I was treating Olivia. That I was giving way too much attention to something that shouldn't be given that much attention to and not enough attention to Olivia and her thoughts and feelings. It was a hard conversation, but a great one. One that I'm really, really grateful that Kent was willing to have with me. 
And I'm not so grateful because of what it did for our wedding. I'm grateful for what it did for our marriage. See, Kent knew something that I would find out only in the days, weeks, months, and years to follow, that weddings happen in a day. Marriage, Lord willing, happen over a lifetime. That weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. Now, some of you that are planning a wedding are like, what did you just say? Hold on a second. I'll explain a little later on, okay? I just need you to stay with me and hold on to this idea that, that weddings are easy and marriage is hard. All right, now, I just, before we continue, I just want to say, I know that there are some of us in the room that the, the idea, the image of marriage and weddings and all this can be hard for us for different reasons. Maybe some of us, we've never been married. We don't think we ever are going to be married. And we're tired of people telling us that we should. Or maybe we want to be married, but it just hasn't happened for us. Maybe we have been married, and, and we aren't anymore, and, and that brings a lot of pain. Or maybe we are married, but it's a source of constant tension. I just want you to know that my heart is not to convince you any sort of way on to be married and not to be married, and if without a successful marriage, your life is incomplete, or anything like that, okay? I just want to use the image of a wedding and marriage the way that the scriptures use wedding and marriage to describe God's relationship to us. That's all. And if, if that's hard for you, if wedding and, and marriage is a hard image, think, think different. Think, uh, let's say, uh, getting a gym membership is easy. Going to the gym every day, hard, right? How many of you guys signed up for Planet Fitness and you're like, I haven't been yet, but I'm going to go, right? That's how they make their money. Okay, anyway. <laughs> last week, we kicked off a series called Run with the Horses, right? Torin gave us a great message last week that kicked us off, and he said that this series, Run with the Horses, flows out of this moment in the life of a prophet in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. It was a moment in the life of Jeremiah, one of the most hard and frustrating moments of his life where he confessed and he sort of complained to God, I'm tired and I'm frustrated. And we learned last week that God responded to that in a way that we maybe wouldn't expect God to respond. He said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? How will you compete with the horses? I like to say, it's a little kitschy, but I like to say, that instead of offering him a pillow, God offered, or invited Jeremiah into perseverance. Pillow, perseverance, see what I did there? Okay. Instead of offering him a pillow, God invited Jeremiah into perseverance. This call, this invitation to run with the horses, God was saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, things are gonna get harder. And I need you to trust me. I need you to trust, like Torrance said, that spring is coming even in the dead of winter. This is how God responds to Jeremiah. And this call, this invitation to run with the horses, was an ultimately a call for Jeremiah to step into a life of purpose and passion, of pain and joy, of suffering, but also of hope. And over the course of the next month, we're going to be digging into the life of Jeremiah and this calling, this invitation to run with the horses. And what we're going to find is this calling, this invitation to Jeremiah is one that God is also offering us, asking and inviting us to step in to a life with him, to experience him, to have a thriving relationship with him, to fulfill God's purpose in our lives, even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, even when we feel like giving up, we, like Jeremiah, can run with the horses. That's the only time I do that. I'll prom I promise, I promise. I really contemplated having somebody stand behind me the whole message, just going like this. We can run with the horses. Now, Torrin also said last week that the book of Jeremiah is this kind of like weird hodgepodge of like 
poems and sermons and moments in the life of Jeremiah. It's not arranged in chronological order. It's the biggest book of the Bible. All that to say, it's really hard to kind of move from like the start to the end and go through it from from beginning to end. And we're not trying to do that, he said. What we're trying to do instead is to just, with the five weeks that we have, to jump and zoom in to five different moments in the life of Jeremiah. Five different moments that help sort of sum up his book, his life, and his ministry. So last week, we zoomed in to that moment of Jeremiah's complaining and confessing to God, I'm tired and I'm frustrated in God's response. This morning, we're going to zoom in to, to Jeremiah's the second moment. It's a sermon from Jeremiah. It's actually like the sermon from Jeremiah. It kind of sums up a lot of his different sermons in one chapter that's long. We're not going to even read the whole sermon. We're going to read 15 verses, and we're going to zoom into that second moment. So if you guys brought your Bibles, if you have your phone or whatever and you like to follow along, I'd love for you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 15 and we'll have it on the back screen too. But before we do that, I just want to set a little bit of context here for this sermon from Jeremiah, okay? So Jeremiah was born, something that's helpful to know about Jeremiah, he was born during the reign of a king named Manasseh. Everybody say Manasseh. Manasseh was like the worst dude like ever, Like, for real, I mean, he was just such a bad guy. He turned an entire nation away from Yahweh, from God, and he instead encouraged them and forced them to to worship other gods, to pagan worship that involved orgies and, and cult prostitutes at the temple. He enslaved sorcerers and wizards and had them force them to work at the temple in Jerusalem, this holy place that God had promised to reside. In fact, one time, you can read in 2 Kings chapter 21, Manasseh took his own son, And he put him on the altar and he burned him alive as an offering. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. King Manasseh. This the nation, this holy temple was rampant with evil and injustice. And Manasseh finally died. And then his son Amon took over. And he only was on the throne for two years until he was murdered. And his son Josiah took the throne. And Josiah was eight years old. Baby King. And Baby King was like, give me a juice box. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Baby King was no joke. Josiah brought like reform and renewal. He found the scroll of Deuteronomy, this book that that we have in the beginning of our Bibles. And he tried to cleanse and reform the temple. Get rid of the orgies and the enslaved uh, sorcerers and wizards and started to clean up the place. This eight-year-old baby king, like it's, it was awesome. And the people started to respond and Josiah was trying to, to draw them in back into true and authentic worship of the one true God, Yahweh. And it's in this moment, either during it or even after it, we're not exactly sure, but it's in this sort of cultural moment that Jeremiah stands up and delivers this sermon that we're about to read this morning. And so you can imagine that the people are kind of feeling like pretty good about themselves, right? Like they've cleaned up their act a little bit. There's no more orgies in the temple. There's no more sorcerers and wizards. They're doing the things they're supposed to be doing. And Jeremiah stands up and he says, he delivers this sermon. Let's read chapter 7, verses 1 through 15. It says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So it says, God told Jeremiah to say this, right? Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. 
Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in. In the place I gave to you and your ancestors, I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. Not exactly what you'd expect for Jeremiah to say, right? They've cleaned up their act a little bit. They're coming to the, the temple. They're, they're doing the things that maybe they're supposed to be doing. They're saying the things they're supposed to be saying. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And Jeremiah stands up and he says, quite simply, your words and your presence here are a lie. Your words and your presence here are a lie. Check it. We, we read in verse 3 and 4. I'll read it again. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions. I will let you live in this place. Verse 4, do not trust in deceptive words. It's like, what are the deceptive words? Here, they're about to be said. Ready? This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. This was a phrase that was used to invite people and encourage them into a posture of worship. Similar to, come thou fount. Right? Uh, something that was common that people would recite to draw them into worship. And Jeremiah is saying, these, are, these words are a lie. These words are a, a cliche. They're a dead tradition. You're using them to say, this is the temple of the Lord. But in your heart, what you're saying is, this is my temple. And I use it how I want to. And we know this is the case because we read in verse 5 and 6. And then again in verse 8 and 9, we hear Jeremiah say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. He says, and, and we have it on the back screen, verses 5 and 6, that you should be fulfilling the Torah, the great commandment to love Yahweh and one's neighbor, to, to care for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, the alien, the immigrant. They're not doing that, Jeremiah says. And then in verse 8 and 9, he says, Instead, here's what you're doing. You're committing murder. You're stealing. You're committing adultery. You're chasing after other gods. And then, this is the worst part of it, you're coming to the temple after doing all of those things, and you're saying, we are safe. And God is like, get out of here with that nonsense. Get out of here with that nonsense. This is unacceptable. He even calls in verse 11, in verse 11, he says, has this house that bears my name become a den of robbers to you? Now, if you're like, what's a den of robbers? 
I like to imagine a den of robbers as like a, a bunch of cat bandits in like a hut, just kind of like waiting in between robberies, right? Like here's the, the cat bandits from Christmas Story. Or, uh, or uh, we, I was talking with Torin about the text, and I don't even think he likes Mandalorian, but he brought it up, and uh, he was like, oh yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the club that the bounty hunters hang out in, in between bounty hunting activities, right? Uh, and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of right too. That seems right. Star Wars nerd. Uh, I'm just kidding. I love you, Torin. Uh, a den of robbers was actually a, a place where robbers could seek re- refuge and security in between robberies. They'd move from city to city, village to village, pillaging and stealing, and then they could find themselves in a den of robbers where they would be safe, they would be secure. A den of robbers was a safe house, essentially. So through the words of Jeremiah, God is saying that you think that you can go during the week and you can do whatever you want, murder, commit adultery, steal. You can exploit the poor and the powerless. And then you think that you can come into the temple and say, we are safe. We are secure. God says, has my house become a den of robbers? Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Run With the Horses that we're leaning on heavily for this series, and he summarizes the situation that Jeremiah is addressing like this. Their religious lives were impeccable. Their everyday lives were rotten. Their religious lives were impeccable. Their everyday lives were rotten. Through the words of Jeremiah, God is saying, your words and your presence here are a lie. In verse 13, he says, I spoke, you did not listen. I called, you did not answer. They were in the right place, saying the right words, but with the wrong heart. And so because of this, what does God say he's going to do? Did you catch it? He's going to destroy the temple. God says, I'm going to destroy this place. And I love what he says in verse 12. He says, go to Shiloh. And I love when God says, go to Shiloh, because I imagine it, anybody uh, grow up in a house with multiple siblings? Yeah, like most of us. Come on, okay. Did you ever have a time where you were doing something and your parents were like trying to convince you the fact that you should not be doing that and here's why and laying out some consequences? And when they really wanted to like be hard or whatever, they would be like, you know what? Ask your brother what happens when you disrespect me. You guys have this? Yeah? It's like, you know what? If you don't want to drive to school, if you want to skip school and hang out at McDonald's all day or whatever, go ahead. Ask your sister what happens. Right? Or in my case, it was like, ask your brother what happens when you decide to cut all the curtains in your room. I didn't do that, but one of my siblings did. I won't tell you his name. This is like what God is doing. (laughs) He might be in this room. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) this is what God is doing he's saying go to Shiloh go to Shiloh now for those of us who don't have like Hebrew history locked in our brain at all times like myself Shiloh was a place in the center of the country it was a place that was cemented in the minds of the people that Jeremiah was speaking to you see when the Israelites crossed over into the promised land with Joshua just after Moses Joshua led them into the promised land they set up what they called a tabernacle. It was a tent, basically. It was like the temple, but there wasn't a building. So they built a tent, 
and it was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was in Shiloh, and God said, this is where my presence will reside, here in Shiloh. Great and glorious, magnificent things happened at Shiloh, at the tabernacle. But eventually, it became a barrier to true and authentic worship, and God destroyed it. God destroyed it. When God says, go to Shiloh, God's saying, I've done it before, and I will do it again. One of my professors from seminary, his name is John Goldengate. He's British. He's got a great accent. I'm not going to read in, the, in a British accent, but he says this about what God is trying to communicate. He says this. He says, Yahweh is prepared to let his palace be destroyed rather than have them think that in itself it guarantees their security. Yahweh's prepared to let his palace be destroyed rather than have them think that in itself it guarantees their security. I like to summarize this entire message with four, four simple phrases, four simple lines. For Jeremiah, the right place no longer launched the right posture of faith. The right words no longer expressed the right works of love. If it happened to Shiloh, it can happen to Jerusalem. And it did. And you're like, you gave this message to a seven-week-old? Yeah. He liked it this for the first time, but he's crying now. So he's like, I've heard this before, Dad. <laughs> it's, a, it's intense. It's an intense message from Jeremiah. The whole thing, though, reminds me a little bit of my conversation with Kent five years ago. See, Jeremiah was trying to tell his people... Jeremiah was trying to tell his people that it's not enough to be in the right place saying the right words. That that, that doesn't lead to a life of love and embrace of God. Jeremiah was trying to tell his people that temple attendance is easy. Covenant faithfulness is hard. That temple attendance is easy, but covenant faithfulness is hard. The same way that Kent was really trying to tell me, listen, buddy, (laughs) you're going to learn, but weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. And I said I would explain myself to you folks planning a wedding out there. Here's what I mean. Finding a wedding venue. Relatively easy. Nobody looks back on their life and talks about some of the hardest moments and says, yeah, yeah. And one time it was so hard to find that boho barn that we could get married at on June 26th. Nobody does that. Like it's relatively easy. Finding a wedding photographer, easy. One that doesn't charge $75,000, a little harder, but still easy. Asking people to be in your wedding party, easy, hopefully. (laughs) Organizing a ceremony, arranging people to get here at the right time, right place, or whatever, relatively easy. All beautiful, important, significant things, but in the grand scheme of things, Relatively easy. Marriage, on the other hand, hard. Forgiving someone after they've hurt you over and over and over again, hard. Attentively listening to someone else talk about their hard day after your own hard day, hard. Believing in and sacrificing for the sake of someone else, hard. 
working out the commitments and the promises spoken at a wedding hard. Have you ever listened, really listened to the vows at a wedding? Hard. Weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. And I think that one of the, I did not sense God wanting me to shout and scream that your words and your presence here are a lie by any stretch of the imagination. But I did sense the spirit prompting to, to ask myself, to ask all of us to consider a question. See, because if, if you have a wedding and it's not followed up with a life of marriage, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, a, a man and a woman, they could get dressed up, they could get together, they could, they could scream and shout, they could say, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. But if that Declaration's not followed by a life of love and faithfulness, of attentive listening, inventive giving, creative blessing, then what's the point? A marriage is what gives a wedding its meaning, its value, its purpose. Can you imagine if Olivia, on the day of our wedding, at the end of the day, was like, hey man, this was super fun, maybe next time we'll have a tent... <laughs> It was so great. Can't wait to do it again next year. See you later. Be like, what? What did we just do? What? what? But I think that the people that Jeremiah was speaking to, and maybe some of us in the room this morning, we kind of do a similar thing to God. Like we say, hey, hey, thanks, God. It was so great. I loved getting together with everybody. Thanks for being here. It was so fun. I'll see you next week. And the question that I sense the Spirit prompting me to just ask myself and ask all of us is, are there some of us who we want the wedding with God week after week after week, but just not the marriage? Like, are there some of us who, who we want the emotional high of, of our favorite worship song and we'll scream it at the top of our lungs, but on a Tuesday morning when we don't feel anything, our faith sounds more like a whisper. Are there some of us who, we want the golden nugget from the sermon, boom, served out week after week after week. We just don't want a regular rhythm of scripture meditation and prayer day after day after day. Are there some of us who, we want the smiles and we want the coffee once a week, but we don't want the well of living water flowing from within us every day of the week. Are there some of us who, we want to be in the right place, saying the right words with the right face, to say to God, I'm safe, I'm good, right? But we don't want the love, the faithfulness, the attentive listening, the inventive giving, the creative blessing that God so desires for us. Are there some of us who we want the wedding with God, but just not the marriage? Now, here's my heart with this. My goal is not to, to shame or to, to hurt anyone. I'm simply delivering a message I sense God gave to me, teaching a text that I think was delivered to a people then and a people today out of God's heart for more for them, for more. But I, I think it would be just inappropriate to not end with the hope 
that Jesus offers. Because this is not the end of the story for us. In fact, in several of the Gospels, I'll reference Luke chapter 19, and one of the moments in the life of Jesus, he found himself saying something very similar to Jeremiah, even quoting Jeremiah. It was in the last week of his life, he was in the temple, he went a little buck wild, he started tossing tables and getting pretty angry and passionate, and he said to the people, this place, this temple, has become a den of robbers. He quoted Jeremiah. And then less than a week later, he was tried, wrongly convicted, and murdered, dying for the same people he had rebuked in the temple less than a week ago. Dying for everyone that would come after them. For the, for the sins of the world to make all things right. So that, so that we could become, like First Peter says, a living stone. Our bodies, a living temple of the Lord. A place where God can meet us. Where we can experience God. Have a thriving relationship with Him. Where God's purposes for our lives can be fulfilled even when it's hard. Even when we feel like giving up. So that we can run with the horses. We have to hold on to that image of what Jesus did for us. Even if we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're right, God. Like, I've been coming for the wedding and I haven't wanted the marriage. I have good news for you. Jesus lived, died, was resurrected so that you could have that marriage, so that you could live life with God. At TLC, we, one thing we've been starting to say more and more is God comes where God's wanted. It, sounds, it doesn't sound like earth-shattering, right? God comes where God's wanted. and I don't just believe that. I've lived that. And I think that that's ultimately the call that God is beckoning us to this morning. It's not one of, not one of shame, but one of calling us out of things into something more that he, he has for us. Did you notice what he says in verse 6? He says, you followed other gods to your own harm. You followed other gods to your own harm. It's only hurting you. God's saying, I want more for you. So we're going to respond to this good news in worship this morning. And as we do that, I want to create space. This is an announcement that Jeremiah made to the people of God in a time and a place. And I believe that the Spirit is here and wants to make an announcement to some of us in the room this morning. So as we respond in worship, I want to just pose the question and invite you to, to think on it, to pray on it, reflect, do business with God as we sing and as we worship. Is there an announcement that God wants to make in my life today? Are there words that I'm speaking that are deceptive, a, a way that I'm talking to a spouse or a friend or a roommate or a child? Are there ways that we're living that are deceptive? Are we doing things that we know are against God's design and we're just putting our head down and saying, yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about it? Are there some of us who we just find ourselves in like this complacency where Torin called it like that quiet quit, right? Where we're doing like the bare minimum for a God who wants the absolute maximum for our lives. Or maybe we're like, eh, you can't really quit something that you never started. I've just been kind of coming and saying I'm a Christian, but like, I don't know what that means for me. Or maybe there's some of us 
who are like pointing at Shiloh in our own lives. And we're like relying on the relic of our past faith, a prayer that we prayed or an experience that we had in camp. And we're like looking forward to the day that we'll experience God in the future. All the while, God's saying, dwell with me now. Is there an announcement that God wants to make in your life today? So we're going to respond in worship. To, to pray, reflect, think through that question. If, if you want to, to process this out loud, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. You can come forward, but you don't need to do that. Or, or maybe you're just like, I don't know what's going on, but like, I just want more of God. Good. I, I sense that's what the Spirit wants to do. And so if that's you, as we're singing, as we're, as we're worshiping, just say to God, God, I want more of you. Can you imagine what would happen in a place of 300, 400, however many people we got in here that would say, God, I want more of you? I'm telling you, God comes where God's wanted. Some crazy, cool things would begin to happen. I, I believe that. All right, so we're going to respond in worship. I want more of you, God. Is there an announcement that you want to make in my life so that I can live life with you and for you at its best, even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, even when I feel like giving up? I want to run with the horses. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come, to gather, to worship. We, we thank you that your word is living and active and, and wants to speak into our lives today. God, we thank you for Jesus, the hope that he offers, his life, his death, his resurrection, that we partake in and that we get to experience we become these living stones, these temples that get to have a thriving relationship with you. And all you're asking is, come to me. You want more for us. Spirit, would you guide us into whatever that looks like? We're asking you that you would come, Holy Spirit, come. Would you move in our hearts, move in our lives? We pray this in the name of Jesus. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.